I'm Hillary Gleach with JNH Farms in Waller, Texas, where you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, as the 2023 Farm Bill debate continues, one common theme is very apparent. Farmers want Congress to strengthen crop insurance and the farm safety net. And one way to do that may be to take all of the disaster assistance money we've spent over the last few years, which is outside of Farm Bill spending, and move that into the Farm Bill. But that will be no easy task. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. As we continue hoping some good rains will finally come our way in the Texas High Plains, moisture concerns are already dictating strategy ahead of spring planting. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. A status report on the West Texas winter wheat crop as farmers in that region get ready to plant spring corn and sorghum. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more on Texas Ag today. Last year's drought was stressful to our forages and greatly impacted our forage production. As we look to this next season, following best management practice can ensure drought recovery of our warm season perennial grasses. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Strengthening crop insurance and the farm safety net programs are two top priorities for farmers as we write the new farm bill. During a House Ag Committee listening session in Waco last week, Tom Sell of Combest Sell & Associates told me it will take a lot of money to get those things done, but they are necessary. We've been spending a lot of money through ad hoc assistance, and the goal of Congress is to move away from that. Now, that would take an increase in the baseline, but in fact, you would end up spending less money, so you would protect the taxpayers and provide a a better safety net for the farmers in the same process. So that's the argument that's going to have to be made. G.T. Thompson published a budget views and estimates letter. It's an official term, but it's an official document out of their committee. They just passed it through last week, making that specific request. And I don't think he'd do it if it wasn't realistic. But it's a just case because we can't actually save money. It's just the way the budget rules work. you got to weave your way through this process. So I asked his opinion on the Farm Bill timeline. Is there enough time to get those types of changes made before the September 30th deadline? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) But... We've seen these things expire before. It it doesn't have a huge impact immediately. The goal is to get it in place for that 2024 crop year. I know that's going to leave some winter wheat that's planted in the fall. You kind of don't know quite what you're getting into. 
But right now, prices are high, and so crop insurance is the main thing, and, and crop insurance doesn't sunset. So I think as long as we get that Title I stuff done by the end of year or early next year, it'll, it'll still be in good shape. That's Texas native Tom Sell. He's with Combest Sell & Associates in Washington. Texas dairy farmers are watching a few bills that are moving through the Texas legislature. Darren Turley is the executive director of the Texas Association of Dairymen. We had a bill last year that basically made it through the system, got caught up right at the end, and it got knocked out of the last vote. Is for milk disposal. We saw during the big storm events that have come through Texas that when everything was shut down, we don't really have a way to dispose of fluid milk in a bulk form, and so we're addressing a rule change for that. Nothing too sexy, but it's one of the things we, that we need to be done. And then we're also addressing a permit issue in Central Texas over uh, the ability for dairy farmers to get permits under a general permit versus individual. This is uh, much faster and less costly for the producer to have them done that way. So Darren, what's the outlook for getting those bills made into law? Uh, well, I don't ever get too cocky when it comes to the legislation process. It's always a challenge to navigate its way through, and we're already halfway over on top of that. So uh, we're hoping we can get those things, uh, both those bills through the system and uh, see, if, see if we can make them to the governor's desk. It's always a challenge. Darren Turley, Executive Director of the Texas Association of Dairymen. East Texas is wet, while West Texas is dry. James Hunt says moisture concerns are already making an impact on spring planting on the Texas High Plains. Greg Glover is a farmer who grows crops in multiple locations in the western Texas panhandle. Winter wheat is part of his rotation, and as has been true for many area farmers, his dryland wheat didn't do very well this season due to the drought. But Glover has also decided to cut the season short on his irrigated wheat and simply use it as pasture or hay for his livestock. The reason? He needs to devote his water to pre-irrigating fields ahead of spring planting. With us being so dry, we've kind of had to choose, all right, do we try to water a wheat crop for silage or for grain, or do we focus on getting our circles that are going to be farmed this summer that are worth a lot more money than our wheat, um, do we try to get them as wet and as good as possible so we feel good about having a good crop that way? And that's kind of what we've decided to do is mainly just focus our water, you know, because we can't do both at the same time. Our wells capacity on most of our farms, we can't water circle wheat and at the same time pre-water for a circle of corn. Glover says for the season ahead, he plans to grow mostly corn and sorghum for silage. Just like every farmer in the Texas High Plains, Glover is hoping for good rains ahead of planting time, but if that doesn't happen, he's prepared to forge ahead with what his wells provide. We'll get it where there's plenty of moisture around the seed, and we want to have enough moisture before we get into our peak usage, because a lot of farms, when it, we get to that peak usage, we just can't quite give it enough to meet that demand. So we want to bank as much soil moisture as we can. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The ongoing West Texas drought is having a big effect on the wheat crop in that part of the state. Tom Nicoletti checks in with a Lubbock area farmer for an update. To West Texas we go now to catch up with Eddie Griffiths in Lubbock. And uh, Eddie, out in your region of the state, give us a status report on the winter wheat crop. The winter wheat crop, we've talked about it on a few of the reports. And, you know, lots of damage to some of this wheat crop just simply because of the wind. You know, 
I was curious whether or not smoke would come out of it. But, you know, there, I've looked at some dryland acres that surprisingly, with little moisture, uh, is looking really good as we uh, get into the heading stage and maybe looking at some of that wheat for harvest. A good rain would definitely be beneficial to that crop. Producers that are irrigated, they've got water running on that crop as we currently speak and trying to keep up with the water demand on that wheat, whether it be dry land, irrigated, with with all the uh, detrimental wind on it. Surprisingly, a lot of this started to look pretty good, but uh, it does need a drink of water to try to get it to that harvest point sometime in May or June. And for the guys that are going to be haying it, they'll probably start doing that here in the next month, month and a half. Now that we're into spring, uh, Eddie, uh, preparations are being made up there for uh, grain crop plantings. Yeah, producers diligently working, trying to get ready to uh, plant some of those grain crops. You'll start seeing that here. Oh, a couple of weeks, guys will get in there early and try to get some corn planted, probably some grain sorghum. You know, the earlier we can get it in there and try to avoid summer heat, the more beneficial it'll be, especially when it comes to those uh, grain crops. Seeing planters coming out of the barn and uh, some even sitting next to the field, probably looking... Uh, for the uh, last freeze or the last the end of the cold weather to try to get out there and get some of this grain crop planted and germinated. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you, Tom. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Last year's drought had a big impact on Texas forage production. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says it's important to follow best management practices this spring to help those pastures recover. Previous management will have an impact on the amount of time it will take for pasture recovery. Livestock should not return to the pasture until grass regrows to about 8 to 10 inches. Increasing grazing stubble encourages root development below the soil surface. It is important to avoid the urge to start grazing as soon as moisture and temperatures green up the pasture. Grazing too soon on drought-weakened pastures can harm plants and prolong recovery time. If pastures have been overgrazed during a drought, an important aspect of the recovery period will be weed control. Weeds are more tolerant to stressful situations such as drought, low fertility, and acidic soils. Weed species effectively compete with more desirable forage species for sunlight, moisture, and soil nutrients. If enough weeds are present in the pasture, the carrying capacity of the pasture is decreased, the nutritive value of the forage is reduced, and input costs are increased. Weed control will be critical as we transition into spring and summer. Strict adherence to herbicide label directions is required by law. Paying close attention to label directions will also ensure safe, effective, and economical use. It is always important, drought or not, to pay attention to plant nutrient requirements. Now is a great time to collect soil samples and to have them analyzed for nutrient levels. Nitrogen is important for forage production. However, it is often the only nutrient applied. Phosphorus and potassium are critical for forage production and persistence. Potassium has been shown to be an important nutrient for forage, stolen, and rhizome production. It is also associated with improving Bermuda grass tolerance to both winter kill, drought, and disease. Ensure soil pH is adequate to enhance fertilizer uptake efficiency. Soil testing is a critical step in knowing what levels of nutrients are required. Remember, management practices for maintaining healthy pastures in a normal year are also the same that minimize damage to pastures during drought and help with drought recovery. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. Enrollment in the Managed Lands Deer Program's conservation option opens in a few days. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
and copper toxicity can occur in pre-weaned calves. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Copper toxicity can occur in pre-weaned calves. Dr. Bob Judd tells how. In a young calf, we are feeding a monogastric and not a physiological ruminant, as only one compartment of the stomach is functioning at this point. Calves readily absorb trace minerals more so than adult cattle, because calves do not have decreased absorption due to other factors in the rumen, so their absorptive ability is highly efficient. When calves consume more copper than they need, it is stored in the liver and builds up over time, and eventually liver toxicosis causes premature breakdown of red blood cells, which leads to anemia, jaundice, and death. And copper can especially be a problem because it is common for calf milk replacer and starter grain to contain added copper via trace mineral packs. Dr. Lauder indicates copper toxicity occurs more often in hutch calves versus beef calves, and it is important for these calves to only get 20 parts per million copper per day. Dr. Steve Inslee from Kansas State indicates he sees certain parts of the country that are feeding 60 parts per million because they feel calves may not absorb the copper, but that's not the case. However, the new nutritional guidelines for pre-weaned calves cut the adequate copper for young calves from 10 parts per million to 5 parts per million. Calves on Milk Replacer are getting over 100 times more copper than those being fed whole milk. Also, jerseys seem to be more susceptible to copper toxicity than Holsteins. Calves do need some copper in the diet as they are born with lots of copper in the liver, but it diminishes by 75% at 8 weeks of age. Trace minerals are needed for calves to respond to vaccines, so make sure your calves are getting adequate copper, but not a toxic amount. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Enrollment in the Managed Lands Deer Program's conservation option begins in just a few days. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. To encourage and support good management and stewardship of native wildlife and habitat on private lands, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department will once again open enrollment for its Managed Lands Deer Program, or MLDP. Alan Kane, TPWD's Whitetail Deer Program leader, says deer harvest is an important aspect of wildlife and habitat management. That's why the MLD program allows enrolled landowners to take advantage of extended deer hunting season links and liberalized harvest opportunities on their properties. There are two MLDP options for landowners. One is the conservation option. Conservation option really offers the program participants opportunity to work with our district biologists that are covering all the counties out there to receive customized site-specific habitat 
in deer harvest recommendations. And again, tags, which can be whitetail or mule deer, but there is some requirements to get in that. So you do get the benefits of the program. You can harvest buck and antlers deer from about October 1 to the end of February with any legal means. So you can hunt in October with a firearm. I mean, that's a very attractive benefit that people like about the conservation option. So it does provide that flexibility and you're provided more site-specific harvest recommendations for tag since because we're using deer population data collected on that ranch. The conservation option does require the reporting of certain types of deer data as well as completion of specific habitat management practices each year in order to participate and remain in that program. Landowners can apply April 2nd to June 15th. Details are available on the TPWD website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was another lower close in the cattle complex on Tuesday, but cotton did manage to close slightly higher. We'll check out all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw another lower close in the cattle futures complex on Wednesday. Both live and feeder cattle ending in the red. April live cattle dropped 12 cents, 162.30. The June down 25, 155.90. While August live cattle were down 7, 155.97. March feeder cattle down 52 cents, 188.25. April feeders down 32 at 194.37. The May contract down 77, 198.77. Cash fed cattle trade still mostly quiet on Wednesday. We did have the online fed cattle exchange sell. They sold one lot of Texas heifers at 163. Outside of that, feedlots here in the South holding firm at 165. Boxed beef prices mixed on Wednesday choice up 228 at 282.20. Select down a dollar 95, 269.60. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Ken Jordan, my guest, he sells in Mason on Monday. Ken, how'd that sale turn out? You bet, Larry. We'd have had 450 head today. Uh, really cold south wind coming in. A lot of people didn't want to get out yesterday. Uh, even though it's first day of spring, it was pretty nippy down this part of the country. I thought of all the market this week, uh, pretty well up on a very strong, steady tone on all classic heads and yearlings. I thought the stocker steers definitely sold totally steady today. Had a group of five steers today with 556, 226 at $1,301 and change. I thought getting the, uh, the stock or heifer that I thought they also sold fully steady. I know the feeder steers and heifers, they sold fully steady too. Had a group of steers with 685 at 210 today, $1,459 on those under the change. I thought overall piper cows were bulls were uh, also steady uh, from last week. Pairs of bred cows didn't have very many of them all day, just a few of them, but they sold very steady too. Larry. Overall, another good market. We're still on a pretty good strong note right now. Good. 
What do you anticipate for Sin Sabbath Thursday? Well, we're going to start at 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll have about an hour long on a bull cell. It'll be Knox Brothers on uh, a full cell. They'll have about 55 Angus and uh, right at 35 Herford Bulls, outstanding bulls. This is, I think, about a fifth or sixth, seventh year we've had the bull cell. If you want to be Herford or Angus, either one, they're outstanding, all virgin bulls, and they're ready to turn out too. Blair, we got all the information up on our website and uh, a lot of the uh, videos of all the bulls and then some pedigrees and information on those. So take a look at that. That starts at 10 o'clock, and then we've got several groups of calves and a couple of groups of cows already know coming in. So look for a pretty good run. We're shipping up on Thursday, Larry. The website's jordancattle.com. The telephone number, Ken? That is. Telephone numbers are code 325-372-5159, Larry. Well, neighbor, there's your livestock auction report. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now. Orlean Hogs took another drop Wednesday. April Hogs down 97 cents at 7607. The May contract down a dollar 45, 8325. Class 3 milk was higher. March milk up 2 cents, 1807 100 weight. The April contract up 35 at 1934 100. The cotton market managed to close slightly higher. Of course, traders closely watching the Fed as they raised interest rates a quarter point. That news sent the U.S. dollar lower, and a lower dollar tends to support the cotton market. May cotton up 43 points, 78.28. July cotton up 44 at 78.89, while new crop December cotton was up 27, closing at 79.81 cents. Corn market was mixed, old crop higher, new crop lower. China in the market once again with another corn purchase. USDA reporting 7 million bushels of U.S. corn sold to China. That's the sixth sale in the last nine days. Total sales for this buying spree, 95.5 million bushels. That did help the old crop May. It was up three and a half, 6.33 and a half. July corn up a half at 6.11 and three quarters. While new crop September down one and three quarters, 5.61 and three quarters. A lower close for the wheat market. July Kansas City wheat dropped seven and a half, below eight bucks now. It closed at 7.99 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down 17 and three quarters, 674 and three quarters. In the energy markets, April natural gas down 16 cents at 218. May West Texas crude up 88 cents, 70.55 a barrel. The financial markets lower Wednesday afternoon. The Dow down 175 points, 32,385. The Nasdaq down 20 at 11,834. The S&P down 16. 3,986. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.